what I like to do is like figure out how can we harness the entrepreneurial power and bandwidth and talent and resources and connections to then use that and apply it towards making a difference in the world. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. This episode was previously recorded and published on the Outperform podcast. Our guest on this episode of Outperform is Yannick Silver. Yannick is the founder of Maverick 1000, a global collective of some of the top entrepreneurs and industry innovators. Through Maverick, entrepreneurs assemble for breakthrough retreats, rejuvenating experiences, and giving forward experiences. Yannick's lifetime goal is to connect visionary leaders and game changers to catalyze innovative business models and new ideas for solving 100 of the world's most impactful issues by the year 2100. Welcome, Yannick. It's great to have you on Outperform. Hey, thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. So I read that you grew up in an entrepreneurial family, actually one that immigrated to the U.S. from Russia. Can you talk a little bit about the role in your family business and some of the things you learned from that experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost like the prototypical immigrant success story. We came over when I was about two and a half. Uh, my dad had about $256 for our family. My mom, me, my dad, and my grandmother came over and my dad and the whole family didn't really have much use of uh, the English language. And within about six months, he ended up starting a medical equipment sales and service company because he was moonlighting on the side at the hospital he worked at. He said pretty quickly, it gave him an ultimatum to either uh, that he had to stop doing it or he or they were going to fire him. And he decided he was going to quit and start his own business. And, um, you know, like almost any family business, you end up uh, working in there and, and, you know, no child labor laws, I'm sure, uh, applied to me. Up until even age 14, I got more responsibility. I would cold call telemarket for latex gloves, hold, call my own clients. 16, the deal my dad gave me, basically, he's like, he's like oh, Mr. Yanda, go make some sales. And the deal was I got a car if I went out and cold called. And so I got a very early experience in sales and then marketing and learned that cold calling really sucked. Yeah, although it seems to be a very formative experience. This is not the first time I've heard that someone had to go door to door or cold call and have that. So everyone kind of says, I, I hated it, but it was one of the best learning experiences they ever had. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, looking back, I was annoyed because my friends are like living at the beach for the summer. And my dad's like, no, Mr. Yannick, you work. But it was, it gave me this amazing head start. And then even, you know, it turned me on to direct response marketing and copywriting because one of my clients gave me a Jay Abraham tape when I was about maybe 17 or 18. And it was like, wow, this is fascinating. I could actually write something and have doctors raise their hands and be interested. And I don't have to necessarily cold call on them and only talk to the ones who are interested. So it gave me a massive, massive head start. It was a formative skill that, that really helped. Yeah, my, my wife and I had a debate about this recently because my 10-year-old son went to set up a, a, a lemonade stand and there was no one on the street. So he took the lemonade door to door and my wife was complete and sold it with his friend and sold a lot of it. And she's totally mortified that he was, you know, forcing lemonade. I was like, look, that's a tough thing to do when you're 10. Like I, I give him a lot of credit for that. That's not easy to do. I love it. Was that your idea or was that his? No, that was his idea. He did that on his own. He has, he has no... Good for him. She thinks he's imposing. I think it's good character building. So... It really is. I mean, for seven years, I've run this family event where we uh, teach kids about business because I really created it for my own kids because they didn't have the same experience that I had growing up. And uh, I wanted them to know 
you know, what it felt like to go sell. And they actually had to go sell on the street. Uh, it was over July 4th sometimes and over New Year's Eve. So they'd have these little trinkets and items that were related to the holiday. And they had to go up and, and people are, you know, even if it's a little eight-year-old kid, they'll be like, no, no. You know, they're not going to be that shy to say no and reject them. But when they get that first yes, it's so powerful. And it also forces them to learn their cost of goods. It forced them to learn, you know, they got to pay back Mr. Yannick. It was, you know, the lemonade stand is is a great way of, of doing it. But anything, you know, selling anything is such a core skill. Yeah, and you get used to the rejection and you realize it's not the end of the world and you move on. Right. And out of the, your comfort zone and just approaching people. I mean, it's so powerful. And, and we make the kids like do everything, right? Like we've had uh, cops show up and they're like, you know, what's, do you have a permit to be selling here? And we make the parents stay away and the kids actually have to go negotiate with the, with the police and talk to them and tell them what's going on or negotiate their sales with the people who are buying. I mean, it's, it's really cool. You can let them figure out stuff. Wait, that's amazing. So that's all part of the staged lemonade stand event? Well, no, we do. Well, it's not a lemonade stand. They go out and go sell. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's an exercise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a multi-day kind of thing and they're learning about, about business and then we have adventures as families together. And, uh, you know, again, I, I kind of created, this is my pattern in a lot of things. I'll create things to scratch my own itch. And, and this was, if I tell my kids something, my kids are now 13 and 11. If I tell them something, they're not necessarily going to listen. But if I create a unique event and experience where there's other kids and other parents and they're saying some of the same stuff, they'll, then they'll be intrigued and, and listen. Did you videotape those interactions? That would be amazing to watch. That would have been <laughs> smart. Yeah, no, we never, I don't think we ever videotaped how they, yeah, what, what happened. I have a few pictures of them making their first sales ever. I mean, it started when my daughter's like three, maybe four, and then my, you know, my son was a little older, but they can only use their cuteness for so long and then they actually have to have sales skills. You have any of those nine-year-olds offer the guy a bribe? <laughs> the, the police? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they said to them, but they, uh, they got out of there. So from reaching your back, researching your background a bit, it seems like you've been able to avoid a traditional desk job almost your entire career. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? And how did you avoid never ever having a real job? <laughs> I think it's funny that yeah, the framework of avoiding a real job. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's actually the first time I thought about this in a while. But I I got mad at my dad once. Yeah, I was working with him. I was probably like 16, I think, or 17. And I'm like, I'm like, fine, you know, I'm going to go get a, a quote unquote real job. And I went to work at TCBY, you know, the country's best yogurt, the, the uh, frozen yogurt place. And so I was on the night shift in high school and I had to break down all the yogurt machines. And, you know, I thought cold calling sucked. That, that totally sucked as well. And uh, pretty quickly sort of crawled my way back to my dad and said, um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to continue uh, selling and come back. And so he welcomed me back in there. But that's, I think, my only real job, if I come to think of it. So cold calling was better than frozen yogurt. Yeah, exactly. And um, I love entrepreneurship. I mean, that's what my whole role, I think, today is I, I call it, you know, catalyzing the catalysts and the people that have the leverage and interesting platforms and reach. And how do we bring them together, to do something more? And And to me, entrepreneurship is just this I don't know, just this amazing opportunity that so many of us have or, or can have or want to have, but it allows us to uh, you know, use our business in a way that, that can be almost like artwork, like the business becomes the, the campus that you can paint whatever you want on it. So you get to decide how much do I want to work? Who do I want to serve? What do I want to do? And, and I don't know too many places that you have that much freedom. And so how did that experience lead you to end up starting Maverick? 
So the, you know, the experience of my dad's business got really good at direct response marketing. We, I helped grow that from a little regional player to more of a national player by using these ads. And my dad would look at it and he's like, nobody's going to read all this. And uh, by the way, I only have one accent. It's a Russian accent. That's it. You asked me to do a you know, Jamaican accent or Irish accent. It all pretty much comes back to a Russian accent. So that actually worked where we're getting people to buy EKG machines and fetal Dopplers and all these things that were you know, pretty high-tech pieces of equipment just through these ads. So at first I thought I was going to just take that over. And, and then this is when the internet was first starting to really come together, maybe about 99. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. You know, I see people selling stuff. They, they have sales letters basically up online and they're selling digital products. I'm like, this is fascinating to me. Maybe I could do something like that. And I had been working on the side, helping a few other clients, some other doctors, other, other clients who had other products and services. And I created these sales letters and that started this first website called Instant Sales Letters and their little fill-in-the-blank sales letter templates. And I thought I was late to the internet. So this was in 2000. I, I had no idea how to put up a website, still didn't. And that became the first foray. And then about, I don't know, 10 years later, at, at this point, I've already had a lot of people ask me how I, how I did it, which turned into me teaching them. But I, I just really asked the question, am I happy? And I would, I'd be happy 10 years from now doing what I'm doing now. And on the outside looking in, had all the sort of indicators that you would look at for success, uh, you know, a lot of revenue from the businesses, great reputation, uh, accolades, the business was thriving, but I just wasn't totally happy. Like it was good, even really good, but it wasn't the ultimate sort of expression. And that kind of forced me down this path of, okay, what would that really look like? Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info the ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash elevate. Tell me about the first event. 
Yeah. So the very first event, you know, again, I like uh, I like scratching my own itch essentially around, you know, what would I want? And so I'd been part of other CEO groups and entrepreneur groups, but I never found anything that really combined ways for others who who had a lot of passion to do big things in the world, but also cared about the world in some way that they wanted to make an impact and they enjoyed having fun. Like they didn't take themselves too seriously. So I created a, a first event, which is a Baja Doom Buggy Racing event in 2008. And I had no idea who would come, who would show up. And that worked really well, aside from the fact that we lost about $40,000 on it. <laughs> and my wife's like, okay. And, but you know, so the other company, the publishing company was paying for this. And so the original company I built with like maybe $1,800 to start out of a one bedroom apartment and, uh, you know, small kind of, you know, three, $4 million company, but super high profits because it was selling mostly digital information and content. This one was a whole different animal, but there was something there and I kept trying to figure out what it was. And about $400,000 in my wife's like, so what the heck are you doing? And you know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And it was, it was a really, really tough decision because before that, almost everything that I tried had worked so well. And this, what I had cared so much about and had so much passion around was just faltering in some way, like the same playbook didn't work. And it really forced me to think about my why. My why wasn't to build an adventure travel company. It was, uh, you know, now what our mission is, is change the way business is played. And it really got me to reevaluate, okay, what am I doing? Do I want to continue doing this or should I just go back into the digital marketing space and, and do what I know how to do? So you've had some incredible guests over the years from Richard Branson, Tim Ferriss, Tony Shea. How did you get connected to them, get them interested? How, how did it evolve from the initial event to what it's become uh, in 11 years? Yeah. So, you know, when I really forced myself to look at that why, the essence has remained the same, right? It's always been about, about growing yourself, growing your business, making a difference in the world and having some fun. And that appeals to, you know, that same caliber of, of person that you mentioned. But where we really made the change was when I decided, you know, it's not just an adventure travel company. We renamed it Maverick 1000, this idea of a thousand sons who could each light another thousand sons. And what would that look like? And, and really making it much more of a collective and, and to work on some big global issues. And when we made that intentional choice and what that looked like, these relationships really started coming together. So for instance, for Branson, we're going on 10 years now, going to his island and, and partnering with Virgin Unite, which is his charity arm, to help really do that same thing. Like use they they think about business, like how do they how do you use business to make a, make a difference in the world? How do you use uh, make business uh, good for everybody? And so when there is that authentic alignment the relationships really happen from there. And it's, you know, again, it's got to be a win-win-win across the board for everyone. Like it's the, there's got to be something in it for that person, for that icon. And for them, there's lots of different drivers. You know, sometimes it's a charity piece. Sometimes it's a key relationship of, a, you know, someone might know them or, or, you know, I've been fortunate to get to know quite a few different people over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so that, that are in that sphere, like, like Tony and, and Chip Conley and, and so forth. And then also it starts building from there because once you do an event with someone or an experience, then you can point to that and say, you know, we've had them as part of our program and, and this is what we did and this is what happened. But, but I'd like to go beyond hopefully a typical keynote, like, uh, you know, the last uh, interview I did with, with Richard, we had him in a, uh, in a mermaid outfit and it was all to celebrate ocean impact and this global goal number 14, which is life below water. And what I like to do is like figure out how can we harness the entrepreneurial 
power and bandwidth and talent and resources and connections to then use that and apply it towards making a difference in the world. And so we love putting on these, these brainstorming events and things like that. And so I think he sees um, that authentic part of the playfulness, the, the mischief, the mayhem that we put on, but also the, the seriousness of let's go make a difference in the world and then actually seeing things occur. Like one of our last projects was we sunk an old World War II ship in the Caribbean in BVI that he proposed to us and that we brainstormed how to make it even better. We added this gigantic kraken on top of it, like an octopus on top of this old World War II ship, turned it into an artificial reef and sank it. I mean, it's, you know, so those kind of things are, are really engaging for, for someone like that. So they, they like big stuff. This is about big thinking, right? Yeah, it's, it's big thinking, but then also um, to me, it's like the genuine alignment and you can't fake that. Right. You can't fake that you care about making a difference on this planet. You can't fake the other pieces. And, and there's certain icons or business celebrities that, that we propose as a team to bring into different things, but they don't fit also with our ethos and they don't have that, that same vibe and the same value. So we wouldn't do anything with them. And so I think it's got to be alignment on both sides. So you're known for setting pretty big goals in, in a bunch of areas. And we, I guess we can dig into different facets of this. But I know on your site, you talk about your lifetime goals. Can you share a little more about that and how you came up with it and, and kind of dive into maybe one of those? Yeah. I mean, so this all came out of, you know, this idea of, okay, what this is not an adventure travel company that we're uh, that I truly care about. Like, then what, what is it that I'm building and, and that we're building here? And this whole idea of changing the way business is played. And I look at the global impact, all these issues going on in the world, I look at that as the soil. And within that soil, we can plant these seeds. And the seeds are the evolved enterprise framework, which is really this framework that I came out, came up with uh, by meeting all these different co-conspirators and, and, and colleagues and different icons who had pieces of this puzzle of how business can be the greatest leverage in, in the world to make a difference. And those are seeds that are planted, basically a new way of doing business. And then this idea of Maverick 1000, these sons are are the ones who nourish these seeds. And out of these seeds come these blooms. And the blooms are these ideas that can help change the world. And so it's this very interconnected ecoverse. And, you know, I, I kind of set up an intentionally really big goal that I don't even know exactly how we're going to measure it, what it's going to look like. But but to me, I'm, I'm more concerned about the essence of it than I am about measuring exactly if we've, you know, hit goal number 18 on this list of 100 I don't even have the full list of 100. I think it's going to come throughout my lifetime and show up. So, you know, again, to me, it's more about the essence of how do we use business to make that difference? And it truly has the greatest leverage, I think. I have a relevant, timely question about this. So an article comes out last week from all these scientists talking about, you know, global warming, and we have about 10 years to fix this, or we're going to face sort of irreparable harm. And one of the problems that dovetails into what you're doing is we have you know, some real serious challenges in the world to deal with. Now, whether people agree that, you know, of the source of that warming, like there's some realities that we're going to have to face. And I think everyone would agree on that. So, but we have some of the brightest and smartest entrepreneurs in the world because of the economic system focused on new social media systems and dating. And, you know, with some of the brightest minds are not solving our biggest problems. Is this something that you're, you're thinking about in your organizations? I, you know, I've thought about this a lot recently in terms of particularly then I'm like, wait, we got 10 years to figure this out. Like some venture capitalists saying, Hey, we, we, there's probably some money to be made in this. 
Right. Well, I love, you know, Peter Diamandis will talk about that the greatest um, problems are our greatest opportunities. And I believe, you know, he's the author of Abundance and created the XPRIZE and so forth. And, you know, I, I believe wholeheartedly in that case that, that it's got to be an economic incentive in some way, and it's got to be a win. And, and, and I see this massive tide shifting, and it's exciting because, uh, you know, consumer buying behavior is changing, that, that consumers are, are, are much more willing and, and want to buy from companies that have a greater purpose and impact in what they do. And they're willing to either pay the same and switch brands or, or even pay more in some cases. And that's from the outside in. And then the inside out are team members. Uh, you know, your team, everyone is wired this way, but they want to be part of something bigger, especially millennials, which are the biggest group that's coming up next is, as team members. And they want to be part of something more. So I, I see this shifting and this idea of, you know, do we, how do we put the brightest minds to work on it? I don't know for sure. I, I think it's something that I call it a cosmic alarm clock that goes off and it goes off for people in different times. I see it a lot with with uh, entrepreneurs who have reached a certain threshold of of success, and they kind of think about, okay, now what? I call them stage three entrepreneurs. And my friend was giving me a hard time that that sounds like a cancer. I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe. And I didn't think about that before. I'm like, well, maybe because you know, stage one is you build the the parachute on the way out, right? Like you jump out of the airplane, and you're like, oh, I'm sure I can make this work. And then stage two is like, oh, you know, I figured out some stuff, and it's actually working, and you're getting the accolades, and you're getting. Uh, you know, things are, are happening. And then stage three is, okay, now what? To me, that's the that, that cosmic alarm clock moment when we can either hit snooze or we can wake up to what is our, our greatest potential and what's our greatest work where all our talents and our skills and our resources now become the new sort of floor for what's next. And it's a really exciting time. And I think the world is is waiting for that to happen and the world needs it more than ever. So there have been like, uh, you know, I'm friends with a guy named Tom, uh, Chi, who came from Google X, he helped uh, create the Google Glass. And he's he's uh, left Google X and now all he cares about is, okay, how do I use this rapid prototyping skills that he helped develop to solve some biggest issues? And what he identified was was coral reefs were the big thing that the part that couldn't be changed and couldn't be uh, salvaged if it went too far. So now he's focusing all his time on that and also reforestation and so forth. And I, I don't know if there's a way to to compel people into it, you know, aside from building the next, I don't know, Tinder or something like that, or, but I think the economic incentives need to change in some way that, and big companies are not, you know, they're, they're not stupid. Like they're seeing these, I guess they would look at it as trends, but it's really much more than a trend about consumer buying behavior changing and to be associated with something more is, is what's happening, but it's going to take a lot of us thinking about, okay, how do we, how do we really show up? And like the ocean has been our, our big impact focus for the year. And what I get really excited by, we have a, a Maverick member who, who has great reach in the photography space. And then he used his relationships in the photography space to then get verbal commitments from others in there who have even more tremendous reach. And they're going to be creating something that, that is going to help impact this big goal that we have of 30% uh, not that we have, sorry, that our partners have of 30% of the ocean protected by the year 2030. And they're uh, positioning in a way, and I'm gonna, I'll be slightly vague about this because we haven't released it, but they're positioning in a way that actually becomes a win-win-win for everyone, for the, for the supplier, for the, the actual distributor of this, and of course, for the environment. And I think that's what has to happen. Like it has to be, it can't be guilt-driven. It can't be from corporate social responsibility-driven piece. Like it, it has to be, 
incentivized and something that people are, are extremely excited by. I, I mean, I saw something this week around related to the ocean where this massive bottle collector was starting. And I also read some guy, I think it was maybe in Norway, some billionaire was using his entire basically wealth to build some ship to collect bottles out of the ocean. You know, at the rate it's piling up, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not going so well. No, and, and the ocean, you know, as I've gotten deeper and deeper into the ocean subject, like it's it's huge, huge piece of our our world. Like it, it's uh, oxygen. It, it is basically yeah, it's responsible for every other breath essentially. And there's all these different issues facing the oceans, and not just plastics, which are be, becoming a much bigger sort of public awareness. You know, the whole straw campaign was great, and that that got bigger, but that's such a tiny, tiny, minuscule piece of of what's going on there. And then even like this plastic bottle collection, the plastic collection piece, that's only what's on the surface, which is still huge, but with a real issue or one of the real issues are these microplastics. So these plastics break down to microplastics that the fish eat and the coral eat. And, and that's, what's really, really creating a, a huge environmental issue with, with the ocean. And then you add in overfishing, you add in increased temperature and over acidification of the ocean. I mean, it's a, it's scary. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Well, you, you talk, we talked about big problems. So I'd love to hear some more about the 100 most important issues that you want to help solve by 2100. It sounds like, it sounds like we've got to solve some of these things for us to be here by 2100. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, you know, to me, and, and again, my role, I look at my role as catalyzing the catalyst, right? To me, I'm, I'm not like... I'm not the mastermind behind how are we going to solve all these hundred issues. Um, I I can just see different dots that can be connected and I can see different resources that can be connected. And I love working on business ideas and models that, that have these multiple facets of impact. And that's where I get really excited. And whether it's, you know, smaller issues that are country specific or they're, they're global things like the ocean or bees to me are another big one. The declining bee population, the pollinators are, are huge. And again, it's one of those those things that it's like this impending, you know, massive uh, potential catastrophe that we have the power to do something with it. And if we don't do something with it, how do we look future generations in the eye essentially and say, well, you know, we weren't totally sure if this if it had an impending possibility or not. But you know what? We we figured it was just a bet that we could afford to lose. And sorry. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of people who chase. Big, there's a lot of dreamers. They chase big ideas. What, what's the difference between people or the systems that you're creating between 
solving big problems and and talking about these big things, but never never getting action. I I, I think there's there's people who think big and and get it done, and then there's people who always have ideas and seem to have ideas and and can't get it done. I mean, you've worked with some incredible people. You know, I'd love to. What what have you picked up uh, in terms of some of the things that they have in common in that area? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, and, and sometimes it's hard to know the difference. And sometimes it's, it's out of your control what happens. I mean, you know, I, I look at it as there, there's almost like a certain flow and energy to, to projects and things that happen. And sometimes if it becomes too difficult, it's, it's just not meant to be. You know, it's not worth the hassle. Why not take that same issue and, and look at it from a, a different point of view and, and another kind of solution? I don't know. You, you can't just forcibly like sort of will your way through a potential project. I don't think that necessarily works. Like there's always this uh, this give and take and, and the check in between. Is this actually worth the, you know, is I guess the uh, is the juice worth the squeeze kind of kind of phrase, right? Everything what we're doing is that worth it. And of course, if you're working with a bigger issue, then you do have a bigger reason why. And you know, I love um, you know, Victor Frankel who wrote Man's Search for Meaning. In there, he talks about that. He quotes Nietzsche and he talks about that. Basically, you can you can survive any kind of how if you have a big enough why. And if you give people that big enough why, then they are willing to do things that they wouldn't do otherwise and, and be willing to, quote unquote, suffer through some of that. But in the practicality of getting a project done, sometimes it, just, it doesn't come through. But the, the real issue stays there. And then again, you can tackle it from a different spot. So, you know, I, I've learned from, let's say, like someone like, like Branson, when I watch big projects that he's involved in. He gets excited by it, and then he's going to pass it off to his team. Like he'll he'll be the first to admit that that he has incredibly smart people around him who are better than him at executing and getting things done. And he will he will work on what he's really good at, which is um, being sort of that that igniter and the and the instigator, and then let them go do it. And then depending on what happens, then he'll he'll continue to promote it and, and be the you know, sort of mouthpiece for the project once it's ready to get a bigger audience. So do you think it's about breaking into practical steps or is it more of a Jim Collins first who then what problem and you, and you find the person and then you let the person tell you what needs to be done? Uh, I think each one probably has a separate way of going at it. You know, just from my thinking, the way I always look at things is my overlay is, is who's sort of the leveraged hub that, that already is, it has that distribution or has that voice or platform already. And how do we piggyback on that? So who's got the, you know, the database or the distribution or the mailing list or the, or the reach already into that spot that we want to go into. And then how do we engage them? Because that, that to me is you're kind of halfway home, right? So this uh, ocean project with the photography space, like we have uh, a company that has a reach of a hundred million families. So it's like, if we can get them to say, yeah, this is what we want to do. And this is the big thing we want to be a part of. And things start to get a little easier. Totally, it's uh, well, it's fascinating. I mean, you don't play anything small, and and uh, you all you also have your ultimate big life list. Tell me about a few things that are on that. Yeah, so you know, it's interesting. The uh, yeah, the life list came. Uh, I don't know, maybe eh, maybe ten years ago or so. This whole idea of okay, you know, what what do you want to do before you die? What do you want to experience? Who do you want to meet? Uh, what do you want to what do you want to accomplish? What do you want to see kind of thing? And it's an interesting list where I don't know if I've matured maybe, or I don't know, but it's, it's become less important for me, but it was a, a driving force earlier. I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe. And, but it's, it was really interesting, like just some of the lessons that came out of it. So for instance, 
one of the things on the list originally was be a semi-pro beach volleyball player. You know, you and I are doing this interview over the computer, so you can't see how tall I am, but I can tell you I'm not the height of a professional beach volleyball player. I'm five foot eight on my driver's license. You know, that's why I wrote be a semi-pro beach volleyball player, because I thought, well, you know, I don't know if I, I can actually do that. And if I'm going to put in all the work that's required for it and so forth. And in a couple of years back, my buddy who was actually a pro beach volleyball player was, he was on the tour. He, uh, this is during the, the days of uh, AOL IM. He was IMing me and he's like, Hey, you know, it was more like just kind of bitching. He was like, Oh man, my, you know, my, my partner just bailed on me. And I'm like, Oh, sorry to hear that. I'm like, you need a five foot eight partner. He's like, yeah, I'll get back to you. <laughs> so there was like a day before the cutoff for this last tournament. And I'm sure I was, you know, who, who knows how far down the list, but he's like, he's like, all right, fine. You're in. And so literally I got to play in a professional beach volleyball tournament with him. And, uh, and so because I technically played in a pro beach volleyball tournament with him, I got to be technically called a, a professional beach volleyball player. So, you know, it kind of changed my idea of what could be on that list. It really helped me say, okay, well, it's just a list. Who cares? I can just add more things to it, regardless if they happen or not. And I do think there is some magic that happens when you, when you put that intention out there and, and you write it down. And, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's your own, it's a piece of paper. Who cares really? But also when you start telling people about it, then they, they get excited and want to help you and, and want to help you do some of these interesting things. And, you know, I think some of them maybe came from an ego point of view, like uh, climb Mount Everest was, was on the list. And I, I don't think that's on the list necessarily anymore. I don't, it's, it's pretty, you know, I, I knew the risks and the dangers then, but even more so now just really feeling into them. And, and, you know, that was more of like an, an ego related, I think, checkbox, but but there are things that I, I still would love to do, and and they're now more like um, they're more wholehearted. I think so. One of them is to actually help an entire country develop uh, an entrepreneurial ecosystem. Like that, to me, would be incredible. And have you started that? No, but now that now that I put it out there publicly on your show, we're, we'll we'll get it going. Someone will reach out from this and say that we have a country. Right, there's a small country that will uh, that will call you. Yeah. But, but you know what? It's, it's fascinating now that I'm actually thinking about it. Like my buddy who I just saw in New York, who's a, who's a Maverick alum, you know, he's working with the entire country of Estonia to redevelop their educational system. And then, you know, that's what he cares about. So, you know, I'm going to reach back out to him and say, hey, you know, where could we help here? Right. Because there's, we're always, I think, within one degree connection of, of someone that, that is doing something really exciting and they could be helped most likely by someone else that you know or you're connected to. Yeah, I, I've had this debate with some people in my company around sort of big goals and vision boards and all this stuff around how much how much of a putting it out there is the is the universe versus you just keep talking about it and keep thinking about it and you connect to someone who's connected to it and as best as I can see, it's some combination of both. Yeah, I think there's an, there's definitely an energy that happens when you have that intention, and to me, I think it has to be aligned with you know, what you're about. Like, so for instance, on my life list originally was like, have lunch with Richard Branson. Uh, you know, I checked that box, right? Like that happened. But if that, if I only had that happen, these other pieces would never have occurred. Like to me, I love, uh, I don't know if you ever read uh, Michael Singer's book, uh, The Surrender Experiment or Untethered Soul. Uh, Untethered Soul, actually, I just listened to it on audiobook. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's really good. Check out a uh, surrender experiment. It's got even more like business related stuff because he, he actually became CEO of WebMD, you know, pretty big company from kind of in the woods of uh, Florida. And he talks about this idea of that the universe has even more in store for you than you can imagine. 
And I really love that because, you know, again, if, if I just got my lunch with Richard, that would have been great. It would have been the pick of it. But there was so much more that has happened that because I think our, our paths are aligned in, in these different ways, and, and now I've even served on, on the board of, of his charity for this Constellation board, where, you know, that wasn't even in my realm of thinking. Yeah, yeah. When you put stuff out there, the connections happen, all kinds of things. It, it, yeah, it, I, I've seen this over and over again. And I think it's something, if you want something, put it out there, tell people you want it. And, and, and that starts down the path to getting there. But then also like really think about like, why do you want it? Like, is it, is it a, you know, is it going to make me look good on social media kind of, I want it thing? Or is it like a deep, deep soul level? This is what I was almost designed to do, or this is what, you know, is really in alignment with my, my head, which is my business side, my marketing side and my heart, my impact side, and then even my highest purpose, like aligning all that together. And, and I think there's a level of discretion that comes uh, and discernment that comes from getting to know yourself more and more. And, and, you know, my buddies and I, we've had this discussion before, I think even just recently about does the ego goal, does that create the, the desire in order for you to do what you need to do? And then you realize that that's not the big goal. And I didn't have a good answer for that. Like, does the Rolex watch or the sports car become the, you know, does, is that, do you need that as a driver? Well, you need to know why you want it. I actually, I just finished my second book and, and, and it was talking about this topic and the example around goals, which was, let's say you want a beach house. Like, do you want the beach house? Because that's an, an actualization of, of success for you. And you understand that, or do you want the beach house? Because it's about getting all your family together. Well, if your family doesn't like the beach, then, <laughs> um, you know, and, if, and you did it thinking it was because of your family, you know, th- then you're going to have this house and not be so happy with it. So it, right. It's really important to understand not just the goal, but the why of the goal. Yeah. Do you have, do you have uh, anything on your uh, sort of life list or anything that's intriguing for you that you've been kicking around? Yeah, I mean it's different forms of making an impact and and trying to make a a bigger impact. So um, Tim Ferriss, he's on my list for a while. I'd like to meet him. He's been a virtual mentor uh, for me over the years, and just connecting to other people who are doing things that are are interesting and, and amazing. So I, I I'm good on the sort of ten year. I'm working on sort of more of the visibility on the on the five year now. But I've had a really the last couple of years, a couple of things I wanted to do or people I wanted to meet. It, it's all happened in, in strange ways. So I'm, I'm all up for doubling down on that strategy. I love it. Yeah. All right. La- last question for you. So when you swing big, you make a lot of mistakes and I always like to learn from people. What's the mistake you've made in your life that you've learned the most from? I'll tell you what it is. It's not giving a hundred percent. And I look back and, and that was a pattern like through college. I remember going out, getting drunk the night before a big test and coming in 8 a.m., 9 a.m., borrowing a pencil, being the last in, being the first out and getting like a solid like B minus or something. And and that, you know, sort of like just just cruising through, never putting a full 100% in because then I had an excuse of things that, you know, oh yeah, of course I didn't get an A because I, you know, I got drunk the night before a test or whatever. And, and that sort of continued through my entrepreneurial journey. I wasn't creating value for people that bought for me. Like my, one of my core values is I get rich by enriching others 10x to 100x what they pay in return. But I, it wasn't like putting my, my full heart and soul into it because then I'd be out of an, the excuse if it didn't work. And there's a really interesting book called The Great Work of Your Life. It's got named Stephen Cope. And he studied the Bhagavad Gita, you know, one of our greatest spiritual texts. And in there, one of the core concepts. So he looked at all these people that when they found their, their dharma and alignment, like how they really just turbocharged what they were doing. You know, people from like, 
Harriet Tubman's of the world to Susan B. Anthony to the Mandela's and so forth. But you know how they got all that into alignment. And it, one of the, the principles was this idea of from the Bhagavad Gita about that you're not entitled to the fruits of your labor, just essentially your labor. So you're only entitled to putting your full heart and soul into something. And that's the reward in and of itself. And as entrepreneurs, it's hard to separate out our attachment to results from what we put into it. And, and so that's been something that I continue working on, which is, you know, how do you put your full heart and soul into it? And, and for me, the Evolved Enterprise book was a manifestation of that where my wife asked me, hey, how many copies of this thing do you want to sell in order to feel successful about it? I'm like, honestly, zero. Like I felt like I put my full, my full self into it. And, and that, was a, that was a great feeling. All right. Well, Yannick, thanks so much for joining us to talk about what you and your team are doing at Maverick, Evolved Enterprises, and helping businesses and entrepreneurs make a greater impact across the world. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. All right. To our listeners, we'll include links to Yannick's sites and events and other helpful resources from the show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep up performing. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.